DiscerningHearts.com presents Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. Deacon Gutierrez studied theology at the Franciscan University of Steubenville and at the Angelicum in Rome. He holds a master's degree in theology from the University of Dallas. He has worked for the church in various capacities, including as a teacher and administrator, and is currently on the faculty of the School of Faith. His expertise includes Catholic social teaching, and his writings on the subject have appeared in several national Catholic newspapers and periodicals. He's the author of The Urging of Christ's Love, The Saints, and the Social Teaching of the Catholic Church. Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome, Omar. Thanks, Chris. Great to be back. And we're continuing our discussion of Chapter 3 of the Compendium of the Social Doctrine of the Church. We're talking about the human person. There is a line in paragraph 122 of this particular chapter. I think it's so beautiful. Mm. I just have to read it if you don't mind. No, please. The new reality that Jesus Christ gives us is not grafted onto human nature, nor is added from outside. It is rather that reality of communion with the Trinitarian God to which men and women have always been oriented in the depths of their being, thanks to their creaturely likeness to God. How beautiful. And they've always, we've always been oriented towards that reality. Um, the Holy Father has spoken of it so beautifully in Wednesday audiences as he's talked about prayer and about what faith is. Yeah, it's, uh, it goes back as a nice sort of recap of what we've talked about. When we, when we look at the social teaching of the Church, we're, we're looking at how we live as Catholics out in the world and how we live a truly human life like the saints did, who were, who were fully alive, right? And when we, when we, if we're going to do that, we need to know who we really are and, and stop lying to ourselves or accepting the lies that society tells us about what we need or what they think we need. And so this paragraph, I think, helps to express the depths of, of reality about who we really are. We, we are a people, we are a creature fundamentally oriented in the depths of our being uh, to God. That's, that's who we really are. So that when we seek the, the, this pleasure or that pleasure, even if they're good things, what we're always constantly, what we're really looking for is God, is love of God, is that love from him, is that fulfillment from him. That's, that's what we're always looking for. And if that's our perspective then, that's going to affect how we look at how we fulfill then the needs of our brothers and sisters. Is it always a material thing or is it simply love to to emulate to imitate rather the love of god the love of christ to them through ourselves yeah there are many who will say that we have a connection with the monotheistic religions that also look as god Mm -hmm. as one but they whether it's the islamic religion or even an under a jewish understanding Mm -hmm. of god's nature the Christian understanding, that triune relationship, is so fundamentally different yes. that you can't say we believe necessarily in the same God. Right. Because we accept that revelation to us. 
if I could put it this way, Omar, and tell me, help me, correct me if mm-hmm. I'm, I'm flawed in this. But as John tells us, God, who is God? God is love. Yeah. And love by its very nature, just the term, it's not love unless it's shared. Right. It has to be given. Yeah. Otherwise, it's nothing. It's, I mean, I can't say to my husband, I love you, and never communicate, show him, give him love. Right. So by its very nature, the father, the in that creation that and that relationship with the son, it had to have that communal aspect with the son because that's who he is. Yes. He had to share it. Yes. For God to be love and, and this uh, the arguments for the Trinity, you know, that have been around for centuries is for God to be love, there must be more than one of him, right, in a uh-huh. certain sense. And so that's why there are three persons. And that, that love that exists between the Father and Son is itself a person personified in the Holy Spirit, which is why we learn more about this through the theology of the, of the body, but it's not necessarily a new teaching in the mm-hmm. theology of the body. This notion that when the husband and wife come together and then have a child, they are imaging the Trinity in that in that way. The love between the two of them personifies into their children. Their children are their love with legs walking around. That's what that really is. And so therefore, we image God, who is the love between the Father and the Son personified in the Holy Spirit. God is love, and so therefore communal, because love, love is not a private activity. Love is never individual. Love is never just personal, right? Uh, love is also social. Love has to be social by its very nature. And so because of that, we learn from the Trinity that this orientation that we have to God is an orientation towards a communal love, not just a self-satisfied love that's eager to fulfill my every desire, but rather a love that requires me to give of myself for the other. That's what we really want. And it's in that self-sacrificial love for the other that we experience the God that we're really seeking. Because we're created in God's image, each one of us, there is an extraordinary value to both body and soul. Yeah. Right. And th- this is, uh, so there's, there's two things to point out here. One is the, the, the lie of our society, which is an, an ancient lie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very old lie. And it's a lie that goes back you know, in recorded history, certainly, back to Plato and Socrates. In the death of Socrates, people are, are, are moaning and, and, and wailing because Socrates is going to die grand noble death right and and socrates tells him no don't don't cry for me because my soul will finally be let loose from the cage that is my body this idea which is everywhere that our soul is our true selves and our bodies is just a mere shell this is an idea that's rampant everywhere if it, the, the the idea of reincarnation which is very popular today as it has been <laughs> for, for so for so long is another aspect of this idea that our bodies are really just shells. They're, they're throwaway aspects of ourselves, um, and there's no real connection with our souls. That's a fundamental lie that we have to overcome. So the church's teaching is one that says that the soul and the body are one. The soul and body are, are necessary for the human person. This comes from a more Jewish understanding. So the, the, pre, the lie, the previous lie I was talking about is perhaps a, a Greek or an Eastern understanding. The Jewish understanding is that the soul and body are one, that the, the, they're part of the same thing. And, and the evil of death is when the soul and body are separated. Um, that's why death is so bad, because it, 
It wasn't meant to be this way. Our bodies and our souls were not meant to be separated. So therefore, when we then look to love the neighbor, when we're seeking how to orient ourselves to this this communal love that we were just talking about, we have to be directed towards not just the body of the other and not just the spirit of the other, but to both of them at the same time, or at least as much as we can be. And this is part of the problem, again, with other social justice, social doctrine approaches, where we focus only on the material, for instance, Mm -hmm. the body. This is why the social teaching says, and the popes have said throughout time, that one cannot approach development or progress in society merely from a materialistic point of view. Asking the question about, are we better off four years today than four years ago? The, great, the famous Reagan line is okay, but that's not the root of the social teaching of the church. Um, the root of the social teaching is, are you closer to heaven now than you were before? That's the real question. And, and so we have to be directed in our, in our orientation towards the other to seek the good of both body and soul. That's why it's imperative for us not to hesitate to be able to, in a loving response, help those not only, as you've just said, in their bodily needs, but also in the needs of their soul. Exactly. Uh, I.e. being able to speak up and say, your soul's in danger. Right. You know, just as you would cry out to someone, stop, you're about to go off a cliff. Morally, we have an obligation to give such warning to our brothers and sisters. Yes. But try do that in a given society, and they will say, you are passing judgment on me. Right, right, yeah. And that will prevent us from speaking out. Help us to know how to approach this particular aspect of our faith. Well, we we recognize, certainly, and especially in in matters of sexual and moral ethics, etc., with contraception or whatever it might be, or abortion, oddly enough, our strangely bifurcated world and society, strangely enough, even though we have this habit of thinking of the body as merely a shell, to be used with and to be abused however we want, to be painted and to be pierced, etc., when it comes to sexuality, which is anything goes with sexuality in our society, if you ask the average person, is there something spiritual about sexuality, the vast majority of them are going to say yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, of course there is. Of course there is. Mm-hmm. Um, if somebody is talking about a spouse, hopefully a spouse cheating on them or something, they recognize immediately there's a spiritual aspect to that. Um, something's been violated. Something's been violated, not just physically. Right. Uh, psychically, and s- psychic, you know, suke from the Greek means soul. Okay? Mm-hmm. Something spiritual is going on there, something non-material, non-physical, that manifests itself in the physical. So our society recognizes that there as, is actually some kind of link there, that we can call the body a cage as just some sort of shell that we throw away, but there is a link between the spiritual and the physical in our lives, in our experiences. And so we want to encourage them then. So if I want to try to help this physical need on your part, I need to help you understand that I need to address your spiritual life as well and your moral life, which affects that. Uh, there, there have been entire um, fields, majors at universities and specialties amongst physicians talking about the approaching the whole of the body and not just the physical aspects that is uh, emphasized in Western medicine, because I think our society recognizes that there is a value to addressing the spiritual. And the question, of course, ends up becoming, well, uh, what's the link between the spiritual and the moral life and and how I behave 
Uh, how is that going to affect my spiritual life? And, and uh, that's perhaps a harder argument to try to put forward. But uh, you can, again, appeal to the natural experiences that people have. Everybody experiences what St. Paul talks about, right? Why do I keep doing the things I don't want to do and do the things I don't want to do? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a universal experience. Uh, that expresses that notion that there is an effect to my spiritual life in my behavior. And so if we can link then the, the moral and the physical and the spiritual all together, uh, just, just generally, then we can begin to have those conversations that say, for instance, in, in reference to questions of economic poverty, the answer, sadly, given by most is, uh, in order to help the poor, there needs to be less of them. And so uh, they need to contracept. Um, i.e. Margaret Sanger. i.e. Margaret Sanger. And i.e., you know, the, the policies of the U.S. government with regard to aid and to other uh, third world countries and, and even, even uh, in poorer neighborhoods where welfare support, uh, often, if not always, coupled with contraceptives. That contraceptive mentality, that contraceptive behavior, eats away at their ability to uh, have healthy relationships. The, the breakdown of the family in amongst the poor, and Charles Murray has, has written about this very well, has shown us that at the root of poverty in our society is, uh, is the breakdown of the family. And if we, if we want to address those things, we need to, to help that. And, and that's a, a perfect argument for why there is this need for us, when we talk about the social teaching, to remember uh, that we're talking not just about a body, but about a soul, about a spirit, about a, a whole human integrated person that's part of a family and that's raised up and formed and, and helped in the midst of a family. We'll return to Regnum Novum with Omar Gutierrez in just a moment. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. A Prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, 
What you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Regnum Novum with Omar Gutierrez. In returning to Chapter 3 of the Compendium of the Social Doctrine of the Church, in which we're discussing right now, Paragraph 134 states that authentic social changes are effective and lasting only to the extent that they are based on resolute changes in personal conduct. Boy, it brings it right back down to the person, doesn't it? <laughs> right, Each one yeah. of us. Yeah, exactly. And and so the as we're seeking then, you, you were talking about how do we articulate this to uh, the average person. I think that's a good question because this is where social change begins to ha- happen. You know, last time we talked about uh, the false understandings of social sin and structural sin. But the same chapter 3 talks about the importance of recognizing we have to work towards healing the, the personal sins. And so along that, that line, then you have this 134 that says, paragraph 134 that talks about effective lasting changes only happening in personal conduct. And that's precisely because if you, if you do try just to fix the, the physical, physical problems of the world or address merely the economic physical problems, uh, you're not addressing the, the person anymore. And if you're not addressing the person, then you're not truly dealing with the social teaching of the church uh, because it's rooted in, in who the human person really is. And so this begins not from the top down. This begins from the ground up, really. This begins with interpersonal communication. And those conversations you, you were talking about where you sit down with somebody and explain, this is where your life is leading you. I mean, we've all had those moments in our lives where we have a friend, right, mm-hmm. who we know is making bad choices. And hopefully and it's very difficult, uh, especially in our society, which is so touchy about judging anybody. But it's, there, it's difficult for us to sit down with them honestly and say, I love you and you have to stop doing this uh, because it's hurting you and it's hurting your family. It's hurting others. That's difficult to do, but that's where social change happens is by that change in personal conduct. That message can be received by another when the person giving the advice or the person who is communicating that truth has lived it through a life of its own thorough examination, Mm. of its own appreciation of contrition. Right. And a willingness to be able to bear its own need for enlightenment. Right, yeah. As I was reading recently some writings of St. Teresa of Avila, where she says, thank those people who have even criticisms of you because they're revealing potentially something that God is trying to communicate to you. Yeah, no, exactly right. What you're articulating is you want that to be able to get through to you from someone who who appears interior enough to be able to figure that out for themselves, but someone who actually also behaves that way, right? I mean, the, what's interesting here is, you know, the authentic social changes happen through resolute pers- changes in personal conduct, in the way you act, 
in what you're doing, right? Um, so I need to make sure that I'm living the life that I'm supposed to be living if I'm going to go to somebody else and say, you need to stop doing this, or have you considered this activity, or whatever it might be. By engaging the other person, we need to be able to be those persons who are ourselves rooted in that life, in a life of personal conduct that should show, hopefully, that uh, this is a path to take and a path of real life, a path of true freedom, which is where the, the, the compendium then goes after this. Parents face this often exactly right. in their relationship with their children because we have to love them enough to say, don't touch that stove. Also, we have to love them to say, don't drink yeah, right. and drive. Right. Who are your friends that you are seeing? You, you challenge what them. What kind of shows you listen to? I mean, yeah, everything, mm-hmm. everything. And so it also bears true that in our love for our children, we also love our neighbor. Right, exactly. But to do it with the type of love that a parent would a child. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully with that kind of charity and, and love and care. We need to recognize, I mean, again, this goes back to this personal relationship we're trying to have with the other person and, and the roots of social change. And you ask the question about how does one begin to have these conversations with somebody uh, making the connection between the the body and the soul. Uh, you know, our society has this really wrong understanding of freedom, where freedom is my ability to do whatever it is I want, whenever I want, even to the point of self-destruction. And I've, we've talked about this before uh, when we talked about truth and freedom in a previous episode, but uh, freedom is not bad. It's, not, it, it's madness to think that to be authentically free is to be able to kill myself. That today is our sense of freedom. And it ignores the reality that there is this soul that I'm, I've been entrusted with by God to try to take care of. And it ignores the fact that others are responsible for me and I'm responsible for others. Authentic freedom, as the church teaches and as the compendium tries to teach us, authentic freedom is the ability to see what is true and good, to, to know the nature of the human person well enough to know what is truly good, and then to pursue that. With, with the maximum determination. What is the difference, Omar, between speaking truth for the sake of righteousness mm-hmm. and speaking self-righteously? Well, I think it's a, it's a difference in where it's coming from. There are those who place a value in being right, and they listen to pundits, talking heads, theologians even, postulators, uh, that will tell them that they were right. And that's w- the value that they're, they're getting from this other person is, is that I know I'm right. And so then when in the face of, of family members who are living a, a lifestyle that perhaps is destructive to them and destructive to others, they feel their obligation is to simply tell them what's, what's right and that because it's right is, a, is justification enough to say it. There's that versus the attitude, I think, of a deep-rooted love for the other person that is not so much concerned with communicating to them what's right as much as communicating to them that you love them. So what's the motivation for communicating whatever it is you want to communicate, whatever it is you want to tell them? It's to demonstrate to them that you think what they're doing is wrong, which is really usually the only thing that's actually done. You've not actually communicated to them what's right because they don't agree with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The only thing you've managed to communicate is you think they're wrong. Mm-hmm. Rather, the point should, should be, how can I communicate to this person that I love them? 
because it's in that sense of, of love that they'll begin to listen. And, in, and then with the open heart, then they might be, begin to understand what's right. We go back to compelling and converting. Yeah, you're right. Now, th- there are those who are going to hear this and say, all right, but isn't telling the truth itself charitable? Isn't that love? Isn't telling them what's right and true? Isn't that love? It can be, but it isn't always <laughs> because, of course, how one can do it. But the question is, are you really communicating the truth to them when you tell somebody what's right? Or are you just communicating that I think you're wrong? I think in a lot of cases, uh, what we do is we communicate to somebody that we think they're wrong. And that's not charitable. That's not charity. Yeah, I would say it just, again, we go back to those teachings of the saints who've had to live it out and do it. (laughs) Exactly. They taught us that... Catherine of Siena was so beautiful in the dialogues. If it doesn't pour out in virtue the words that you speak, then it's not a hymn. That's right. If it comes out in anger, if it comes out of a fear, if it comes out of all those things that are counter-virtue, what are you communicating then? Right, exactly. And are you really free? I mean, the, that's the, if, if it's coming out of fear, then you're not making a free choice. You're not really free. And that's why the, the church's teaching in this aspect is, is so wonderful, because it's, it's encouraging us, it's introducing us to a concept of freedom that is much more alive and uh, much broader and deeper than the concept of freedom that our world offers us right now. And so as we seek this freedom, as we seek to, to live the life in, in authentic freedom of the human person, we, have, we talk about a liberation theology that's out there as a kind of social justice teaching. Crucial understanding what is truly liberating is, is knowing who the human person really is, therefore, and what authentic freedom is. And if our society continues to tell us that freedom is this ability to do what I want or will or to simply fulfill bodily pleasures instead of recognizing the, the spiritual needs, then we have an anemic freedom that really isn't worthy of the name. We require a freedom that encourages us to do the good. And, and in this question of interpersonal relationship, as we've been talking, uh, it may be, in fact, remarkably difficult for us to enter into a relationship with the person that we want to communicate the truth to. It's harder. It's a lot easier to tell somebody you think they're wrong than it is to love them and to sit down with them and to deal with the anger they may have for you, the lies they might have for you, the, the, the time it might take out of your life. That's difficult, but in giving up part of that supposed freedom for yourself, you're actually helping provide the other person with a great deal of freedom, and you're allowing yourself to be truly free by allowing you to image God in loving the other person. It does take courage, but blessed John Paul, I just see the radiance of his face Mm. as he always spoke to us in love, but in truth. Yeah. Be not afraid. Reminding us the three things that Jesus, you know, three words that Jesus said more in the Gospels, than anything else, even before love your neighbor, it was be not afraid. When we look at our our culture today, Omar, could you not say that those who are in a despairing heart about where the culture seems to have made its choices, and it seems to, some would say, is beginning to slide downward, Mm -hmm. a slope rather quickly, Mm -hmm. that there have been more decadent societies some that have been in even more danger morally, and I'm thinking of, in particular, the city of Rome. Mm -hmm. And those who had the courage and love to stand witness to truth helped to transform that. It took 
time to stop that slide. I mean, when you think about there was abortion, there was yeah. there was mutilation games and killings yeah. going on in an incredible scale. Uh, so many other things, so many other aspects of what was happening there, but it was the witnesses of those courageous saints and standing firm and knowing that their eternal destiny was way beyond anything in this world, that body and soul, they would be part of that resurrection. They helped transform that society and that culture. Exactly. And, And they did it, I mean, really they did it quietly, they did it through through relationship. I mean, we, you know, people say, well, no, it was because Constantine made Christianity the religion of the state, etc. But how did Constantine become a Christian? Because his mom was. Well, how does mom become a Christian? Because she knew somebody else. It, and they, they knew somebody else, and they knew somebody else, and that's how it happened. That's how it happened, mm-hmm. was through interpersonal relationship, through that communion that's necessarily a part of that social change we've been talking about. Any final thoughts on this particular section? I think well, all of us, because uh, I, I think we all fall into this trap to a certain degree on one extreme or the other. I think all of us need to look at our relationships with, with others. Like last time when we talked about the necessity of confession, uh, confession is about the relationships, our failures and relationships uh, with God and ourselves and with our neighbor and with creation. But to look at more specifically how it is we're um, helping model that personal conduct that is the root of social change. In our personal relationships with other people, are we modeling what we think the social change should look like? Because if we're not, then it's going to be that much more difficult, therefore, to try to bring about that social change in others or at all in society. Maybe once again to to recall that it's important to speak out, but to kind of gauge yourself in, is it coming from virtue or is it coming from somewhere else? Exactly. It's coming from somewhere else, then he's waiting for you. He's waiting to heal you, whether it, whether it be in the sacrament of confession or it, just the reception of the, that glorious Eucharist that is provided for us. Exactly right, yeah. Thank you so much, Omar. You're welcome, Chris. You've been listening to Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation to help support our efforts. But most of all, We hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez.